Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. When I, when I got to the university, I was like, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is amazing. And like the number one thing about, um, the number one thing that kind of like hit me at first was that there were a ton of people around and none of them felt like they needed to get involved in my business. Mm. I could just float through like a ghost if I wanted to. And I pretty much did my first year. So as I said before, I always knew a lot of people in the community, but not a ton of them were my exact same age. Like a lot of my male friends from church were one, one or two years older, one or two years younger, right? Um, or not going to college at that time. Um, and that was true for high school too. Like my best friend who currently lives in California is a year younger than me, right? So when I first got to university, I knew two guys, uh, one two years older than me, one three years older than me, uh, three or four years older than me. And I saw them like a handful of times and it was great. It was nice to see them. And the rest of the time, I was just on my own. I got the time to just be on my own. And I got to study whatever I wanted. And I wanted to be able to cast magic spells if I found the right book. <laughs> so that was Greek and Latin and mythology. All this stuff that I always wanted to, to like indulge in more. Um, my parents were like, why don't you, are you going to study art? And I was like, no, nah, I'm already good at art. Besides, <laughs> I want to study something practical like classics. <laughs> Uh, my parents are like actually pretty amazing. Like I, almost <laughs> almost anyone's parents would have made me get a degree in art, and I should have. Like it would have wait, been. Wait, wait, wait. Most parents would say the art. How, what are you going to do with that? You need to get a degree in, in STEM. Yeah. Right? Well, most parents. Okay. So, most parents don't have so a your, eldest son who your... brutally annihilated any expectations for the future. Like, <laughs> in your orbit, I art the... was the practical path for for Dan. A hundred. I thought it wasn't at the time. A hundred percent. It is much more practical. Explain. It wasn't. What were you? What were you an artist in? What? what was uh, your comic name? book art, illust fantasy Let's illustration. Go. I think, and I, I, like, I don't want to like. I'm not trying to like brag or whatever. I'm a decent artist. Okay. I, I always love to draw. I did it instead of, I'm like one of those learners who like is drawing while yeah. every other people are taking notes and I'm, that helps me retain things. Your folks are like, oh, this makes yeah, sense. This, this is like a thing you're you good do at. You do this. You but like I had this. such a crappy attitude about artitude. crappy attitude. Oh, um, but every time I would title. take, a, I would every time I would take an art class, I'd be like, I hate it when people tell me how to do this thing I'm already awesome at. <laughs> Uh, but I would also notice that I got slightly better every time, but I never really like wanted to like deal yeah, with that. Yeah. I should have just double majored. No, you're right. I mean, like most parents would have been like, no, you need to be like an engineer or a yeah, lawyer. Yeah. Like, but I mean, like I had, you know, like my parents were just thrilled that I they got were like, high you're school. In college. That's yeah, awesome. It's amazing. gravy. And you know, every single stage of education, my GPA just jumped. The more I was able to just do whatever I wanted. Nice. The the better I did. Um, Greek, so, but Latin, Greek, myth, Latin, myth, potions. Uh, yes, potions. Uh, yeah, defense. Did you ever the dabble darkness. in the actual, uh, in the actual magic? Did you ever get involved with people who had a little something here, a little something there? I mean, I'm the crystal crowd. I, I'm friends. I, I'm, I'm currently friends with a couple of people who are pra practicing witches. Um, so, uh, personally, no. no. Like I, uh, uh, no, I haven't. Um, I'm trying to think. Jesus Have I like not, done not magic? Fan. I don't know. I don't think so. Probably not. <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> um, I I never felt like I I never really felt like the need. I mean, you know, I have a lot. Honestly, you know, mm. you could do a lot worse. <laughs> um, Scientology, you already mentioned. Hey, what hey. about just worshiping money? <laughs> like, there's got to be as much stuff in the Bible about not doing that as yeah. doing witchcraft. <laughs> 
so, okay, so college. So, so I'm four years. One year, you get a I degree. don't talk to anybody. <laughs> I make friends with a mouse. Okay, <laughs> I give this mouse my apple core every day at lunch. I read. My an uncle actual gives mouse. me an yeah. actual mouse. Yeah, by the art building that I wasn't taking very many classes <laughs> in. Um, my uncle gave me the entire John Carter Warlord of Mars Let's book go. series by Edgar Rice Burroughs. I read the entire thing largely instead of doing like my math class that I had to retake because uh, I got a D. Um, I just did all that stuff. I got it out of my system. Yeah. And then I turned into like a very social person. The next year, my best friend showed up. A bunch of other guys I knew showed up. Um and I just sort of started enjoying being in a big campus, meeting all kinds of different people, um, taking all kinds of different classes, slowly getting over my natural aversion to ever talking to teachers, right? Um, really was blessed with a lot of really great mentors, a lot of really good friends. Um, I kind of, um, I don't know. I went there for a long time. I really, really enjoyed it. It was like definitely my place. I felt like I belonged there. I never like sort of like questioned that. I had a ton of friends. I still have friends from that like period of my life. Um, along the way, I was doing trips with my church uh, in various places. Um, and yeah, I basically was able to like live the life of the mind. Um, I am basically blissfully unburdened by anything resembling terrestrial ambition like i just don't care like I, I i like i want to avoid discomfort right but um uh you're not like i have to be this thing no that no people will like, see no 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 i mean like how long were you in college so from 1997 to 2009 i went to the university of new mexico <laughs> There was a year where I was gone. <laughs> I was taking classes in a different country. 12, uh, 12 years? <laughs> 11 years. I don't know. I'm not great at math. <laughs> uh, yeah. That was the University of New Mexico. Oh, and, oh right. And then <laughs> I finally, by the time when a girl that I was family friends with and, and knew like our whole lives, well, her whole life, she was barely in middle school when I started college. <laughs> and like when she was graduating with like her dentist degree, master's degree or whatever, I was like, maybe I should move on. Like <laughs> you just love, I literally, so much. I literally would not have graduated gotten my, my mom basically had to trick me into getting my bachelor's degree. I would have just stayed at the bachelor's level. And you know what I did when I was, when I was in uh, doing my bachelor's degree, First couple of days of school, I wouldn't register for classes. I would go up to the bookstore and I would just peruse the books. And the class that had the books that I wanted to read, that is the class I would take. So and it just was a mishmash of was, like oh, nonsense. Dude, like it just crazy. did not. I mean, it, it shook out into a, a classics degree. Eventually. Yes. And uh, medieval studies, um, what do you call it? Uh, minor. Okay. But I took like three years of computer animation. Um, I took uh, a dude. I don't know. I took my friends would make fun of me because I took a class called medieval tales of wonder. Like um, <laughs> I, I took a bunch of honors classes. The best one being about Tolkien. Mm. Uh, the, my teacher in that is still one of my really great friends and mentors. But I obstinately refused to join the honors program, so she got no credit for Ooh. that at all. You know, I just would, I just would get a, like a waiver every uh, year. I took um, non-professional PE uh, <laughs> to is, such a huge extent. I, one of my, I got three Fs in college. Uh, one of those was in yoga. Um, <laughs> Non-professional PE is like just it's like a it's like an exercise class. Yeah, I took yoga. I took Tai Chi. I tried to take archery, but it was always full. Yeah, um, I took weightlifting a bunch of times. Okay, um, you ever LARP? No, no, I, seriously, no, no, I never LARPed. Uh, I do do a lot of like sort of Ren's Fair style dress up now. Okay, <laughs> now that I'm married and stuff. Yeah, but like my whole thing with LARPing was like, I think it's like other people with like drugs yeah where they're just like nah this is gonna be too good dude <laughs> i'm never coming back from this i need to be able to talk to a girl sometime yeah. <laughs> i already got like you know sci-fi comic yeah. books yeah. 
all of this nerdy stuff going on in my life. I knew that like you'd if I get, took a, a hit off that LARP pipe. Yeah. I take that back. I did one time. Okay. <laughs> I went to a LARP event. Yeah. I wasn't technically LARPing because I wasn't playing a role. You were just watching. And I was banned, right? Oh, so, so what happened is me and my buddy were like, we see these dudes LARPing <laughs> in the park. And we were like, that looks awesome. It's I would love to take like a sidebar, foam weapon. Sidebar LARP defined for our... Oh, I'm sorry. Live action role playing where you like assume the role. By the way, my cousin LARPs, he loves it. It's a huge part of his life. Yeah. I think I would have loved it. I also think I never would have come up for air. Yeah. Right? So um, we see these people dressed as like ninjas and like knights and wizards fighting in the park every week. And we're like, that's... <laughs> man... Let Living me tell you what would make me really happy the dream. is to is to just you know wail on some of these guys <laughs> with a foam weapon. So me and my me and my buddy we go to like a, a surplus uh, a, you know army store. We buy a bunch of foam. We buy PVC pipes. We buy duct tape. Wow. And we make tonfas, which are like I don't know like Japanese martial art police batons. Yeah. And um, we make two swords, one of which is really, really long, unwieldy for the PVC. And we show up. We're just like, <laughs> we're here to fight. And like the, like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they're called. <laughs> the LARP provost. Um, oh. <laughs> like, he's just like, he's just like, okay, well, those don't look like regulation weapons. We're oh. like, what are you talking about, homie? Um, and we, uh, he like looks at our weapons and he's like, no oh no no like you can't fight with these what if like this pvc broke and like the jagged edge of the pvc came out and stabbed somebody and we were like um well Be pretty then epic. you would walk it off because we're, we're not pansies i mean like you yeah, know, just yeah, yeah. deal with it yeah. uh so they didn't let us play um and uh we were very disappointed um and so but everything but LARPing. Well, we went back to my friend's house and we just like brutally beat the crap out of each other okay, for like okay, three okay. hours. You're... The guy had a point about the tonfas. There was like a whole spot <laughs> where there was no foam at all and like he hit me in the face with it. <laughs> anyway, uh, same so, thing with paintballs. Like he almost took my nose off. Oh no. We didn't have masks. Anyway, um, so I didn't LARP, but... I did have like a secret envy every time I would walk by like the Society for Creative Anachronism. <laughs> I've never really had a drive to do like competitive sports, but there's this thing called like the Armored Combat League. And <laughs> I feel like that might be worth getting into some kind of shape for. <laughs> now, so, what yeah. about dun Dungeons and Dragons? I mean, we're... No, so I also... Your life okay. is basically Stranger Things. Yes. Yeah. Except it wasn't. Except it I was, was a late adopter to that too. Oh, okay. Um, I think I caught part of like the satanic panic. Oh, right, Where it's right. like, oh, Dungeons and Dragons Because you were a churchgoer. I was a churchgoer. Yeah. So I don't think my parents were like really into that, but like there was enough of it around that like the kids I went to church with didn't play Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And so... But I mean, I had experiences with role-playing games when I was young. Like a friend of mine made a... Uh, when I was like... 12 or 13 he made a role-playing game um based on uh frankie peretti's this present darkness <laughs> yes where you would be an angel oh man um and and then i'm so oh, happy man, i just that just triggered a memory he was the guy who taught me how to faint i went this is you want to know about new mexico yeah, let's go i went through like a period of like several years of my life where like the thing we did for fun is we would faint each other and so like you can uh, if you hyperventilate yourself and then you like take a big breath and you hold it and you cross your arms and somebody just comes and just unrelentingly squeezes you in a bear hug, you'll just pass out. And like, they know you're out because you're, wow. it's probably not great for your brain. Like yeah. it's got yeah. a cut off. Yeah. So, but we would like do that, like on the way home from the bus stop and stuff like that. And like people get dropped left in yards. <laughs> like one time I fainted like six times in a day. And then like, I like went under and I had like this vision where I was like 
you know, the king of this cosmic <laughs> universe. And like, I could see all these planets stretched out before me and like an eternity went by. And then slowly I felt like, I felt, I felt sensation for the first time in who knows how long. And it was like this buzzing sensation around this area. And suddenly I snapped back to reality. My friend was just slapping me as hard as he could because I just like went down for like 30 seconds Dang. and I was going to die. So anyway, um, Dungeons and Dragons. So when I'm 14, I drop out of high school. I'm in this, um, this Japanese class. Nice. All that's the right. nerd oh, stuff. That's right. I watched my neighbor Totoro before it was available in the United States. Wow. My teacher had no, uh, recorded no it. Into, no subs. Wow. Um, all kinds of awesome stuff. Uh, uh, you're going to be really surprised to hear this, but some of those guys were really big into Dungeons and Dragons and related <laughs> games. So I had the opportunity to. One of the few times I ditched school um, was to play D and D with them. Yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, other role playing games. So I did that for a little while. But then I just sort of stopped. I was like, I'm nerdy enough. But then I'm in grad school and some of my friends, people who I like actually considered to be cool, were just like a new edition of D&D came out and they were like, all of them had been into D&D and they were like, let's play. And I was like, I'll, I'll play with you guys. Um, I think I was leery about it because when you're like a teenager and like a pretty crappy social situation with no social skills a lot of times dungeons and dragons can turn into a power trip right uh, like an escapist fantasy for the people who are playing it where they take their lack of control in the real world and they project it into the game mm. and that i saw that happening and i didn't really want any part of that but with people who are relatively like mature it's just like a lot of fun so i started playing it and I was correct. I never looked back. Um, I I got I immediately like like a week after I played it for the first time as like an adult in my early twenties or whatever mid twenties, I like got a copy of it and I went to this other friend group and I was like, we got to play this. We started playing. I, I ran it as a dungeon master and then um, yeah, it's just kind of gone from there. Um, uh, it's 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 you know probably holistically my favorite hobby. You get a chance to interact with people. There's like opportunity to be creative. There's opportunity to um, uh, think about things in like game terms, like you know statistics and uh, tactics and strategy. And there's a chance to like you know, I don't know, make up crazy worlds and and see how things turn out. So, yeah. so coming out of the, how long were you in college? Well, I didn't get to Irvine. So I was in college for another like four or five years, five years, I guess, at UCI. Are you working during this time? You're, you're, you're trying living, not to, but you know, I, no, I'm living at home. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like, this is another huge advantage, um, uh, of spending so much time out of the country. A lot of, a lot of like the way that, um, communities are organized in some of the other countries I've been in are more multi-generational, right? Mm -hmm. And it's pretty common for, let's say, a kid in Mexico to live with their parents until they get married. Mm. And also, my parents had always had the value that they'll give, they gave us kids a place to stay as long as we were in school. Now, they might have <laughs> bit off more than they chew, could chew with me. But my dad was in college for a long time, yeah, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. come on. It runs in the family. So, um... Uh, so I was living at home and, you know, we figured out like there was a little bit of, uh, there's always a little bit of like friction there, but, um, basically my parents were understood that I needed to like live my life and were okay with me going and, you know, doing whatever I wanted to do, you know, as long as I was respectful and contributing to the household and stuff like that. Um, in other ways, they didn't charge me rent. I like would not have been able to do any of this without my parents and like a lot of other advantages, right? They supported me um, through a long, long time. Um, so, um, but I was good with I was good with living with them. I uh, I really love my family, and I you know by the by the time I was like in late college, I had spent enough time away from both New Mexico and my family to appreciate both of those things a lot more. I needed that perspective. And so, um, yeah, I, I, uh, just was, 
I just was like living this life where I was just talking to people about, you know, Greek epic and Latin poetry every day and and Jesus. Were you comics. were you evangelisticy? Um, because you're going on these missions trips. Yeah, that's well, so that's I mean that's life. the interesting thing. Like my missions experience really sort of like um, reinforced sort of like overt evangelism, um, like in your face. Uh, evangelism might have a useful context in certain cultures, but most of the time, I, I think it's highly overrated. And I, I mean, I grew up with like the same sort of like pressure. You have to like be bold and outspoken and like be in people's face about it. But um, I mean, what I, what I saw in other countries and what I found in my own life is that like, I don't know, people don't generally respond well to that. I mean, they're not, I think most people I've met who aren't Christian, when they think about Christians, they're like, oh yeah, the people who judge me. I've had maybe a dozen people in my life say to me like, oh yeah, you know what, man? I like that you're the only Christian I know that I know doesn't hate me. And so like, I, or there's like two guys, right? There's you and this other guy. That's happened to me a lot. Mm. And um, I feel like not being in people's face, telling them how to live is essentially what it is, right? A lot of times like very overt evangelism is, comes off as, or actually is, an attempt to change people's behavior um, with the pretext of saving them, right? Uh, you don't live how we live. I, I worked, you don't live how we want you to live. I worked at a live. video store. Video store was like a place where you could like rent videos. <laughs> and they had this initiative, which wound up getting me sort of like fired eventually because I refused to do it, where they wanted to upsell drinks because they had a huge profit margin on drinks. So every time somebody checked out, we had to say like, hey, if they're renting a movie, hey, would you like to buy a soda? We have a soda fountain over there. Guess what? No one <laughs> has ever thought. Man, do I want a soda? <laughs> Is it possible for me to get a soda? They know they can get a soda. They don't need me to say it, mm -hmm. right? And, uh, and for me to just be like in their face is manipulative, frankly. And I mean like the whole thing with like, you know, it's like, yeah, we go to this place, this like campus ministry so we can get some free pizza and then we have to pay for it by listening to them say this stuff. It's like a timeshare. Um, I didn't hide the fact that I was a Christian at all or go to church. Uh, I'm not like opposed to drinking on like a moral level, but I've never really liked alcohol and I've never really been super vulnerable to peer pressure. So I'm not a big drinker, right? Like I would go out with my friends to bars. Um, I don't know, man. I, I just sort of like, uh, like, I think that first of all, my philosophy of, of salvation is that it is reliant on the Holy Spirit. And I trust the Holy Spirit to use me if the Holy Spirit needs to use me in an overt and explicit way. And besides that, I think that like me living my life and um, trying to treat people in a, a way that is consistent with like the, the tenets of, of, of the gospel is... I don't know if it's going to be a form of evangelism or not, but like that's more or less what I'm doing. If if people like if people, I would I would not shy away from having conversations with people, and I never never hid what I believed. But I also I didn't tell people how to live their lives, and um, and I don't super care. I well, I shouldn't say that. I'm not super concerned with people living their lives in a way that's very different to mine. Hmm. I've studied a lot of different cultures throughout time. And these norms change. A lot of like 
do you hear people talk about like Western values and like sort of standard norms for human existence? What they're talking about is a bunch of stuff that got, that was, that was invented for, uh, you know, reasons of expediency in the enlightenment in the, in the Victorian period that present themselves as universals, but they're not, they're grounded in a particular culture. There's a lot of different cultural expressions of, of human, of, of, human sort of like society and Christianity. And I'm not, um, uh, my, my belief in Christianity is more on the, the far end of like, uh, it as like a universal, um, sort of, uh, way of describing, uh, human beings and their relationship to God, um, rather than like a specific, like, I don't know, decidedly like modern or American um, expression of it. Maybe that's wrong, right? I certainly in my life have shared the gospel in explicit terms with kids at Bible camps, people in different countries, people in my own country, people at my school, right? But I, um, In my experience, what people who aren't Christians, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what people need. They know the basic story of the gospel. If they live in America, they pretty much probably know it, some version of it, something close to it. But I think that what they haven't felt is the love of God being expressed to them in a way with no strings attached by someone who is a Christian. And that is, that's on us. That's not on them. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to like trigger too much of your audience, but like it is absolutely a fact that as far as the overt and explicit religious character of this country is concerned. It is largely a Christian country. Okay. And by that, I don't mean that every, that the majority of the people are like, have prayed the sinner's prayer. What I mean is, is that like, as far as religious power structures exist, they are overwhelmingly Christian and then Catholic and then, you know, Judaism is in there too. Mormonism um, could be, could be, and probably should be considered um, an offshoot of Christianity, right? Um, so there's a there's a Christian religious structure, as far as there are religious structures in our country, and that comes with a with a like pretty startling degree of cultural power, and um, in my opinion. Um, the American church is trapped in this place where they actually have a lot of power, but they, but our ideology about what it means to be persecuted and what we see in the early church doesn't match up with that reality. And so we wind up in this really weird place where, um, we want to feel, uh, set upon and cast out at the same time that we're like, making decisions for other people on like a big level, on like a smaller level. Um, if you are a Christian and you have a friend and the main reason you're friends with that person is that you think you might be able to convert them to Christianity. You are not that person's friend. Full stop actually not their friend. Jesus met people where they were. When people came to Jesus and were like, hey, my life is messed up. How am I going to fix it? He would give them really good advice. He spent a lot of time, uh, a good amount of time, like chastising religious hypocrites. And... Um, people who were super judgmental.
So, I mean, take that, take that for whatever it's worth. But like, if you are a friend with strings attached in any, any, in any, uh, situation, you need to reevaluate, um, whether or not you're really that person's friend. Um, and then also I feel like as far as evangelism is concerned, you need to ask, do you trust the Holy spirit to work in, in somebody's life that you care about? Do you trust the Holy spirit? I'm not saying you can't talk to people about this stuff. I talk to my friends about my own belief and what they believe in or don't believe all the time. But if, if um, somebody's a project for you, that's, they're going to feel that, you know, it's going to put like a limit on how far your relationship can go. Would you, you take that same posture with our students at the school or your, your role as a teacher? Of high school students? Yes. Um, I mean, so <laughs> I've talked about how much I hated high school. One of the reasons I hated it is because I had to be there. It's essentially, you know, forced by like, you know, whatever, my parents, the state, um, to just be in this situation. And I felt like an adult, started to feel like an adult who could make my own decisions during that time. Um, I literally would just escape from situations where people would make me sit down and listen to things in high school. I don't really see how, I mean, maybe our students are totally different from me and I just had a really bad attitude. That's completely possible. But I, in general, as far as ministry is concerned, I don't see how preaching at a captive audience, even a, even a, um, sort of uh, uh, interested and positively inclined pa uh, 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 captive audience is a great tactic for spreading the gospel. I think that faith in Christ, salvation through Christ, and, and a person making that decision is fundamentally the work of the Holy Spirit. And I think that God is totally capable of using whoever he wants to get that done. And I think that if we sit down and we look at ourselves as high school teachers and say, oh, I'm definitely going to be the guy. And I've got a plan to make that happen. Mm. That's hubris. That is pride. Right. And um, I'm not saying it won't happen. Right. Like uh, we're, we're adults who aren't their parents. Um, who are in a situation where um, we're invited in to like have mentoring relationships with them, to get to know them, right? To care about the things that they care about, to care about their successes, to lament their failures. I think it's plausible and likely um, that many of us are going to have many opportunities where, uh, and this has happened to me a lot since I've taught high school, where a student will invite us into a moment and ask us for guidance. I think we should give them good guidance in that moment. I think that that is probably the Holy Spirit creating an opportunity. But I just have always had a real problem with like, uh, one of the goals is all of our students should be Christians as like a programmatic element, right? Um, I think that you can, I don't know if I'm repeating myself here, but I think that it's totally possible to use authority and to use social pressure and to use normative pressure from peers to make people say things that check all the boxes. But I don't think that that's a deep and abiding faith. Right? Well, and we've had, I mean, you and I are of a very close generational kind of moment. Mm -hmm. um, Thank you for that. And I, <laughs> I don't know your experience exactly, but many of the people that I would have grown up with in church land, um, no longer walking with the Lord, no, sure. definitely no longer part of the church. Sure. It's become a movement to leave the church. Yeah. Um, it's become almost a, a whole unique identity to, yeah. to maybe have issues with the church that, issues that you would have as well. Um, yeah, no, I've, I've 
find that point of view like very like I, yeah i get it yeah, yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense to me and your and your sense is let's not continue to feed some artificial way of approaching conversion or approaching or just of being christians or being the church in the same way that you would have been reluctant to or learned in the mission field in different cultures what that might look like if, yeah. if Americans were coming over saying, hey, look, look, be be American Christians and be, you know, let's tell you how to do this. And that power differential that often gets sort of, you know, exported into missionary sort of trip context, yes. that colonialist. Well, and, sort yeah, of historically, charity, uh, yeah. However you want to like look at that. But my understanding with your experience in the mission field, some of the mentors that you had was much more what you're saying. Like now this sort of come alongside, be a person. You're yeah. still, I mean, in those moments, you're still there for a window of time, but it's not, let's convert people in this window of time. It's yes. be a person who would establish a genuine relationship that is not um, radically imbalanced as to power or isn't utilitarian in the sense that like they need to, you know, you're set, this is a setup for, yeah. It, uh, yes, I agree. Uh, yeah, that that's true. I would say as far as like the um, types of ministry that the non-American churches that I've worked with have employed, it has run a pretty big gamut, including direct evangelism, right? And I've, I've done that many times. Uh, in those situations, I tend to, um, not tend to, I'm going to follow the cues of the people who live in that culture. Um, I think that they're better equipped to know what is going to be effective. And also they know what the goals of their church and their ministry is. Uh, so sometimes it was just direct evangelism. Sometimes it was like, Hey, there's like a bunch of, uh, gringos here and they're doing crazy stuff <laughs> and you want to check it out. And now that you have, I want to tell you about this message, right? Like I want to do an altar call. I'm not saying that that's, wrong i think that like you know 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 your audience i guess um a lot of times the ministries i was involved in were much more indirect they were about um making making communities better places to live in right uh they were about teaching people english and if along the way uh, some of them became interested in the churches where those english classes were housed great um one of my most influential leaders. And I've done some work in places where I've, I've, I've been involved in churches in places where it's much more difficult to be a Christian than it is in the United States. And one of on some of the longer trips I've taken, my pastor, you know, who asked me to come serve at his church, I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to do what he needed me to do. So I asked him, like, do you think that I'm going to be able to do what you need me to do? And his answer really stuck with me uh, in this place where, I, you know, if we take the, the sower's parable, right, it is fairly rocky ground, right? And um, what he said is, if you can be okay with spending 11 months working with this church and never leading a single person to Christ, then you can, then you can do what I need you to do. That is, and I was, I could, uh, that is a challenge to our pride. I don't know if it was like Billy Graham's organization or whatever, but, and I'm sure these numbers are different for a lot of people, but, Somebody came out with like a figure that was like every time somebody who's just like unchurched accepts Jesus and becomes a Christian, probably seven people have had some kind of impact in their life that you know, represents Christianity in some way, whether mm -hmm. explicitly or implicitly. Mm -hmm. Are you okay with being guy number two and never getting to see the fruit of the thing you did? the Holy Spirit used to do with you? Do you trust God that when you follow God, he's going to do something with that? Do you need to see it? And I 
feel more comfortable. I think this is true for a lot of places probably, but I feel pretty com comfortable commenting on American culture. Our, our culture is very success oriented. We hate losers. We want to see people do things that work. And sorry, if you like take the message of the Bible and the story of Christianity seriously, uh, you might not get allowed to see things work. You might just need to trust that your contribution means something. And I, 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 I don't think that that is going to be a particularly welcome message, but I think it is true. It's been, I've, I've seen that play out in my own life. Every once in a while, I catch a glimpse of something working. A lot of times, I see really direct stuff. Most of the time I see direct stuff, it's like I'm friends with somebody. I treated them well. I get mm. to watch them grow up. Mm. They're good people, mm. you know? It's not um, this sort of a amazing, um, cathartic um, altar call. Um, but, you know, Maybe I'm doing it wrong. Maybe Benny Hinn has it figured out. <laughs> Maybe he's the guy. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like that's, I, I, don't, I, I don't know if that's a pill that people need to swallow or not. But what I do know is that, like, I've spent enough time on secular college campuses to, uh, you know, know exactly how pungent of a wet fart it is when <laughs> some dude just shows up preaching hellfire and brimstone mm. and obviously doesn't care at all about anybody he's talking to. He might actually, in his mind. But mm. you know what? What's more important is that he says that stuff that he has to say. Mm. And what that means is, is that he might care about the people he's talking to, but not as much as he cares about his own sense of righteousness. Mm. So, I'd be, I'd be kicking myself if I didn't ask you a question before I let you go. Um, and the question has to do with Tolkien. Oh, okay. okay now, we haven't talked a lot about yeah. the man himself. Now, okay. you said you took a class on I, a secular university campus. I did. On him. I did. Um, and was this a, a classical, medieval, this is the Tolkien of, of sort of his yeah. Cambridge and his teacherly kind of, this is where he was trained, this is what he taught. Well, a little bit more of his academic side and then into maybe his myth-making? It was a, so it was primary, it was an interdisciplinary class, but it was primarily uh, literature, uh, primarily uh, 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 literature uh, class on uh, The Hobbit, and The Lord of the Rings, and the other sort of main works that Tolkien wrote. And um, we did talk a bit about his biography and engaged in rampant speculation about what elements of his biography influ influence what parts of his work, um, usually, uh, usually to, uh, no real productive end. Um, but, uh, a big, I'd say the reading list of the class was, um, a pretty comprehensive selection of the major, um, medieval literary works that, you can see displayed in some way, shape, or form um, through Tolkien's imagination. Um, so that's what the class was focused on. It was, you know, it was it was an academic class analyzing um, analyzing the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion to a certain extent, and Tolkien's sources. Like, what 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 did he read, and um, can we can we pick out connections between like Beowulf and Gollum and, and uh, Bilbo. Um, uh, look at the, hey, look, it's the prose Edda. It's got like the names of all the dwarves, right? Um, and and some deeper stuff. And uh, you know, we read some Arturian legends, and it's like, is he accepting this or rejecting this? You know. Mm. So that was like it was. A, I mean, it was a class that uh, was aimed at undergrads. Um, but I mean, from there, I would say uh, there was a. Um, a a society, a Hobbit society was formed. Um, uh, I am not much of a joiner, David, so I never officially joined, although mm. I was briefly the vice president and I did go to like almost every meeting for the better part of a decade. Of course. Um, so, and so we went further with it and, and like in, as part of that, we invited people in to, um, 
to talk about various aspects, mainly scholars, of mainly Tolkien's work, but also his life too. So, I mean, the fact that Tolkien was a devout Catholic certainly came up in that class and is something that we've talked about. Uh, this, you know, group of people and I have talked about many times since. Um, that, you know, and it's kind of like in there with like... Um, the C.S. Lewis and uh, the other Inklings and stuff like that's a I'm not super up on like the history of the Inklings lives. I know more about Tolkien and a bit more about Lewis. Um, uh, but yeah, if you were uh, if you lived in Middle Earth, mm -hmm. what would you be? Where would you live? <laughs> well, first of all, um, <laughs> what age? And secondly, uh, <laughs> Secondly, uh, I wouldn't. I would love to see Fangorn Forest. I would love to see you know the Misty Mountains. I wouldn't live in Middle Earth on a bet. Like uh, a lot of people, um, if I had a choice, right? Uh, Middle Earth. Like I think a lot of people miss this about the Lord of the Rings. It is like talk about apocalyptic like i mean it's it's like way worse in middle earth than, than new mexico? most it's worse than new mexico <laughs> uh it's it's uh it's it's a place where things have progressed pretty far in a bad direction when the story starts um if i had to live there i mean honestly like i would definitely live in like the shire or um in brie maybe <laughs> You know, like kick it and Brie. If I had to like sort of choose my uh, my Tolkienian um, mm -hmm. uh, ancestry, I I'm a son of man. Like I think a lot of people would put me would try to like pigeonhole me in that dwarf category. Um, but you know what? Uh, I don't love shiny things enough. Um, I think I'd be decent with an axe. Um, but yeah, son of man, maybe wizard if I'm really feeling my oats or whatever. Mm. But um, yeah, no, I, I think, uh, like, the Shire is basically, like, early 19th century, like, mid-19th century England. Like, that's not <laughs> yeah. that bad. Um, Gondor is, like, I don't know, it's besieged by flesh-eating orcs. <laughs> I can't stress this enough. It is deeply, like, terrifying, deeply right? Deeply unsafe. Yeah, deeply unsafe. Um, well, Rohan... Rohan, uh, Rohan. So yeah, Rohan wouldn't be bad. Um, it, 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 it does. But I mean, like if I was like a younger man, right. I would be like, Oh, that'd be sweet. Be a writer of Ro Rohan, you know, that'd be my life. But like, would you rather live in a nice English village in like <laughs> 1885 or Mercia in yeah. the ninth century? <laughs> It's the Hobbit's life for us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think that's the only sane choice. Um, Did Tolkien believe in fairies? Oh my gosh! So, last question. I can't say. Um, I can't say. Um, I think if he did believe in fairies, it might be in a different way that than we sort of conceive of that. Like maybe you were at a talk. Oh my gosh! You were at a talk. Okay. A serious scholar. One of the top Tolkien scholars. One of the top a, in a, Tolkien in, in, scholars. A wonderful person. Very, very wonderful person. Very like, and, and somebody who does like real scholarship. Okay. <sighs> Can't believe you made me tell this story. So we went to this talk. Well, we put this talk on. The Hobbit Society. Promoted the heck out of it. Yeah. It was a great talk, actually. Yeah. I think everybody was very entertained and enriched at the university at the university big lecture Auditorium. hall maybe a hundred people hundred people a okay? uh, lot of professors a lot of community members um the scholar had been doing work on tolkien's notes um he had written he tolkien wrote multiple drafts of everything that he did over years right so if you if you and now a lot of those notes have been prepared and published by his son rest his soul christopher tolkien made it his life's work to um to put that out there into the world um so and you can get access to things if you're a scholar so multiple drafts of these essays about fairy stories 
and um, had really come to some interesting conclusions um, about Tolkien's thought process and the way that he wrote this. This scholar. This scholar. But at a certain point in the talk, they said, having looked at all of these notes, I think that at a certain point in his life, Tolkien saw through the veil that separates this world from the fairy world, and he saw real fairies. And that's why he's writing X, Y, and Z in these drafts. Like, he saw fairies, and that's why he's writing what he's writing about this literary genre, which is probably the dopest thing I've ever heard somebody <laughs> say in an academic talk. Um, and the reaction was, it, it was <laughs> I was like, yo, what? <laughs> I mean, like, even if you really believe that tr that's true, to say it to a academic audience is like, uh, you know, uh, impressive. So um, I don't know whether or not that's true. I honestly, I can't say. I, my personal experience in the, in the world, probably, unfortunately not, but who knows? But what I do know is this. The question and answer period at the end of that talk was phenomenal <laughs> because there was a pretty serious split in the audience. Uh, there were professors who were just like asking this person, like, are you serious? <laughs> like, sorry, what? <laughs> and then the other half of the crowd, mainly people from the general community, maybe some of the, 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 the Wiccans out there, That's you know, cool. in the, in those streets were just like, okay, how, how did he do it? I would like to replicate whatever Tolkien did to see fairies. Cause that is what I want to do in my life right now. Like life. that, this is awesome. This yeah. is consistent with my life Finally, up until this someone. point. I just need, I just need a guidebook. You read all the papers. What did he do? Tell us what to do. Did he, did he, did he walk uh, counterclockwise around an elm tree three times? Like, what did he do? What's he doing? Is he putting acorns in the shape of a star, uh, you know, under a, in a glade at, at, at midnight? It's gotta be a glade. Oh, Dan Bellum, thank you so, so, so much for, for these stories. Thank you for, for humoring me uh, by even driving down to the uh, to the old <laughs> living room studio. Uh, you got it. Oh, man. I hope you get like maybe 10 or 15 minutes of usable material out of that. <laughs> and only 10 or 15 minutes. <laughs> it has been a pleasure. Thanks, brother. Thanks, man.